You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. And today we come to the end of our journey in the book of James. We've spent a good portion of this year in James. We took a break during the uh, Easter season, but this is our last time. And I want to tell you the, the idea of preaching through James in this series and its theme sort of fell into my head, as it were, on a, on a summer afternoon in the middle of COVID. And I remember I was either on my back porch or back, back patio, and I was just sitting there and uh, reading and, and, and thinking and realizing that COVID had truly disrupted our routine, uh, not just in work and school, but also in terms of church and ministry. Everything is really uh, upside down still after uh, more than a year. And so the Lord laid it up on my heart that one of the things we were going to need as a congregation was a challenge from a very blunt book of the Bible, which James fits that, let me tell you, a very blunt book of the Bible that would encourage us to think about what it means to get back to work. Now, it doesn't mean back to normal. I don't think that there's ever going to be normal again, but we need to think about what it means, church, to get back to work. And so that's what James does for us. It encourages us and, and in a radical way, sort of like if you can imagine uh, if your heart stops and you're on the operating table and they have to put those charged electric paddles to your chest, boom, you know, that's what the church needs. And we sense that. We feel that. We know in our small groups, in our worship attendance, in just about any measurable metric as far as attendance goes, we're nowhere near where we were before. And I think that's true pretty much denomination to denomination and church to church. And so we're asking the question, what's it going to take to get back to work? And what's it going to take to, to get our, our lives back kind of in that rhythm of ministry? And I think James has helped us, at least given us some answers. And then to even think about here we are going back to school tomorrow. Many of you who are in the school system, tomorrow is the big day with school and everything else. And you think about getting back to work, what it means to be back in those rhythms, back in person, in class. Friends, there's a lot of ways that we need to be thinking about getting back to work. And today, as we finish this series, we're going to look here at these last two verses in James and hear, I believe, a clarion call of what it means to get back into the church, into the ministry, not just to do work, but to see souls saved. Our purpose for everything we do is to be a gospel witness, to see people turn from their sins and, and, and embrace uh, the only salvation that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord, and then be discipled. And friends, here at Ridgecrest, we are ready to do that, and we believe that the power of the Holy Spirit is going to give us the energy we need to do that, the strength and the wisdom. And here, as we look at this text, I pray it will launch us and get us back to work. So if you will, please stand with me as we stand on the solid rock of God's word, we have two verses for you today. Two verses, James 5, verses 19 and 20. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you will open our minds and hearts to what it means to wander today. That seems to be the, the main theme of these two verses. 
And God, uh, help us to see not just where others are wandering, but I pray, God, you will open our heart wide open so that any place, even if it seems trivial, small, God, any way that we are wandering from you, your truth, your love, reveal that to us today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, One of the things kids like to say today, at least I've heard it at my house some, you know, it's like awkward, you know, and if you're a dad doing your job and telling dad jokes, well, occasionally it's just awkward, you know. James is kind of like the dad joke guy, at least from a spiritual standpoint, that a lot of the things he says are kind of awkward. We, We find ourselves listening to these blunt statements and we're like, wow, I mean, you know, he's pulling no punches. For instance, in chapter two, he said, basically, faith without works is dead. He says, you know, if you think you're just going to uh, come to church and, and, and uh, say that you believe something or think something, but you're not doing anything for Jesus, he says, you know what? You are dead. He goes on to condemn those who are outside of the church. In chapter 5, he says, you have condemned and murdered the righteous person. I mean, doesn't beat around the bush. He says, you're a murderer. You're going after people. You're not living in a way that honors God. And then even last week, we were encouraged by James to confess our sins to one another. We were encouraged to think about the power of prayer in the congregation for those who are suffering, for those who are sick, for those who are even happy. We are told to sing, and it's so powerful. It is awkward to confess your sins to one another, but that's what God's Word says. If we are going to be a church that's getting back to work for Jesus, one of the things we have to realize is it's built on prayer and our willingness to open our hearts to God and to open our hearts to one another as we hold each other accountable. Getting back to work is not an individual thing as much as it's a corporate thing. Yes, you have your part to play. We're going to talk about this. But ultimately, what we need to realize is we need to get back to work together as a team, as the bride of Christ, as the body of Christ, to do the work of the kingdom. The work of the kingdom was never meant for you to be the Lone Ranger solo hero of the story. The hero of the story is always Jesus. But he invites us in to the narrative. He invites us into this wonderful kingdom purpose. And I think as we look at what James is saying, he is saying these truths to get our attention. It may be awkward, but he just wants you to apply these basic Christian truths. He wants to jolt you in the direction of Jesus. And we need to realize this. So today, the jolt is pretty simple. And it's this. Even in the church, in in a room like this filled with people who are going to church or going to small groups, maybe involved in ministry or even working on the mission field, even in a room like this, there is sin in this room. There is sin amongst the people of God. We are not perfect and we are far from it. And there is sin in our hearts and that sin is the problem. When James is talking about wandering here, he's not talking about some abstraction. He's talking about the fact that every day you have to make decisions about walking with Jesus. And if you choose not to be in step with Jesus, you will be out of step with Jesus and thus wander. That's the whole idea of wandering. There's an old hymn, a line of it that echoes in my mind all the time. And it goes like this. It's come by fount is the hymn. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Now notice that heart, that poet singing that. He's saying, I love you, God. Like many of you would confess right now, I love you, God. The question isn't whether you love God or not. The question is, are you staying faithful to God? 
It's possible to say to someone, I love you, and yet your heart still wander from them. It happens all the time. And we can't let that happen in this crucial relationship with Jesus. Now, to get even more awkward, let me tell you how I know that the church today struggles with this concept of wandering. All we have to do is look at the membership roles of the average church in America, and we'll see very quickly that we have congregations filled with those who are wandering. We don't have to ask the question if we're losing the battle. Sometimes we need to ask if we've even lost it. Church membership roles are full of people who are not filling the church. Church membership roles are full of people who are not filling the church. And that tells me right there, when we begin to distance ourselves from the people of God, when we begin to wander from those key relationships, that's when we need to realize there is serious trouble afoot. Churches all over this land are filled to the brim on the membership role, but there are a lot of, of people that aren't coming, not attending, not serving. And we think about this, and there's always reasons. And usually it boils down to, like in your small group or something, someone will say, well, I'm not coming, and, and I haven't been for a while, and nobody's reached out to me. And the funny thing is, is, is I wonder if those people think about themselves and how many people they reached out to that walked out of their small group before they did. You see, it's one thing to point that out. Like, we've had people say, well, you don't, you don't go and, and visit me when I'm sick, and yet they never made a visit when someone else was sick. It's so easy. Now, I'm not being critical, but it is so easy to see the fault in the church, the fault in others. You're not going to have to look far to see fault. But the truth is, what we have to do is look in the mirror and look at our hearts and ask God to help us to be good brothers and sisters in Christ because we are all prone to wonder. And if we're not feeling that, then we're numb to the truth. And so today, the awkward element of this sermon is that it has to cause us to feel again, to feel the awkwardness of our inconsistencies, to feel the awkwardness of our reality that as a church, there are a lot of people that we need to be lovingly reaching out to. We need to be a part of the solution instead of just pointing out the problem. It is not enough, church member, to be dead on, spot on, always able to tell me what's wrong. I need you to get with me and help me solve the problems to love the people, to care for people, to, to serve Christ uh, with all of our heart, strength, mind, and soul. Let's do that. And so to do that, let's look to the text and see first those who wander. Um, a, lot of, uh, a lot of our folks this summer, uh, this is one of the first Sundays where it seems like most everybody's back. Uh, Jenny and I, we, we lived in some places growing up and in ministry that were very poor. Uh, vacations didn't happen too much. Here at Ridgecrest, everybody takes about 15 vacations a year. Um, so on one of your 15 vacations this year, um, maybe you've seen this bumper sticker, all who wander are not lost. Have you seen that bumper sticker on Jeeps or RVs? I've seen it more when I travel out west and people are out there, you know, they like to put that on their Jeep, like, like that's some kind of philosophical statement. I'm, you know, listen, I, I, I doubt you have a PhD in philosophy just because you put that bumper sticker on your car. In fact, I would question your, your wisdom to put a bumper sticker on any car, okay? Just don't even bother. It messes up the paint, but you know, that's me. Um, all who wander are not lost. Well, that may be true in essence, but I want to tell you in the church, every second you continue to wander, the more likely is you're going to get lost. You cannot stay wandering from Jesus and be in any way, shape, form, or fashion 
healthy. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth. Now, that's a possibility. Anyone could wander. And if you don't believe me that anyone could do it, and that anyone includes you, let me give you just a little bit of biblical background here. There are some amazing saints of God who have records of wandering. Read the narrative of Noah in Genesis, or of Moses in the Pentateuch, or David in the historical books, or Peter in the Gospels. In each one of these lives, uh, stories of their lives, we see episodes of wondering. I mean, for, for, for instance, Peter had to be told by Jesus, will you feed my lambs? Will you feed my lambs? Will you feed my sheep? He had to be told three times because he had denied Christ three times. Friends, that is a colossal element or example of wandering. And if Peter can do it, much less David, Moses, and Noah, so could you. When Peter is talking to his baby church, his infant church in 1 Peter 2.25, he says to them, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. There's bad news and good news there. The bad news is, is that good people in the church had been straying like sheep. The good news is, because of the power of the gospel and the work of the Holy Spirit, Peter says, you have returned to the shepherd. And today, that's what I'm asking you to consider. I'm asking you to consider what areas of your life have you been wandering in? Whether it's mental, whether it's of the heart, whether it is actions or activities that are not God-honoring, we need to ask ourselves, where am I wandering? And what do I need to do to get back on track? This word wandering in the original language is the root word that we get our word planet from. And that doesn't make a lot of sense to those who understand astronomy uh, because we know that planets don't just wander. But in the ancient world, they didn't understand gravity, you know, Uh, Newton had to come along and tell us all about that, and later Einstein. But in those days, they believed that, the Greeks believed that the planets were just out chaotically drifting in the universe, out in the ether. They were just out there. So the word planet means one that drifts, or a body that drifts. A wanderer is one who drifts. I want you to think about this for a moment. Drifting is something that happens in a matter of degrees, a manner of degrees, not, not usually all at once. And I want to say this to you, it only takes one sin to get you moving away from the gravitational pull of God's righteousness. Notice, if anyone among you wanders from what? It's very specific here. If anyone among you wanders from the truth. Now, what is the truth? Now, if you make it capital T, truth, that's Jesus. If you want to talk about truth in this context, it means all of those biblical truths that we have in the scriptures. But I think it also means the gospel truth. It means the truth of the gospel, that we are saved by grace through faith. It's it's Jesus and the blood of the cross that saves us. We know that, and we may be a professing Christian this morning and say that that's what our confidence is in, but if we're living our lives every day without that in the center of our lives, that means day by day and degree by degree we're drifting, we're wandering. The analogy that's most simple here is that even if you have a brand new car, perfectly aligned, You get up to highway speeds, 75, 80, which is what most of you drive at highway speeds. Let me tell you, every time I get out there, I feel like I'm, you know, on an Italian racetrack. It's crazy. Highway 65 is nuts. Anyway, crazy people. And, you know, you let go of the wheel. Even a brand new car that's perfectly aligned after a few seconds does what? It drifts. It drifts. And if you're driving a 2003 Forerunner like I am, it doesn't take a couple of seconds. I have to constantly keep it in between the lines. But here's the deal. 
It doesn't take much. You have to be intentional. You have to hold on to the wheel. What's scaring me about the church today is that many people are just trusting in the fact that they've prayed to receive Christ, trusting in a church membership, and they've taken their hands off the wheel. Listen, a ditch is coming, or worse, a colossal collision is in your future if you don't get intentional about holding on to Jesus. Wandering is the natural fallen course of things. And you'll do that, wandering it is, when you take gospel grace for granted. You will wander from the sweet presence of Jesus. Let me tell you this. If a person is no longer attending church, it doesn't mean that they're lost. But I'm going to tell you, we wander from church and truth at the same time. I think it is true that the longer you stay away from the accountability of your brothers and sisters in Christ, the more apt it is that you are wandering from the truth. And by the way, the truth of God's word tells us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. You cannot grow as a Christian apart from the bride of Christ. And you can have all the reasons in the world. You can tell me all the things that are broken about the church, and I may agree with you, but you still need the church, and the church needs you. And when you get away from it, when you wander, you are heading for an accident or worse. Wanderings can begin in in our thought life. It can begin with just our passions and our hearts. But eventually it will lead to errors in our lives, commissions, omissions, sins. 1 John 1.6, listen to this. If we say we have fellowship with him... While we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. 1 John 1, 6. Listen, when we don't have fellowship with Jesus, when we're not in community together, we're not going to practice the truth. So here's the truth to think about. If you think wandering is not likely, you are likely in trouble. If you are not one who is saying, I know I am prone to wander... I'm going to tell you, the likelihood is that you are wandering. And only when we rest in Christ. What an interesting song to sing right before I get up here. Only when we rest in Christ will we not wander. Only then will we be able to stay anchored to the truth. Again, if anyone among you wanders from the truth. And I'm asking you this morning, are there elements of the truth, elements of the gospel, elements of the work of God in your life that you are straying from? I'm going to pray this morning that God will begin to illuminate those deficiencies, those areas of wandering in your life. But let's talk about now those who rescue. We've talked about those who wander, but if you look at the second half of the verse, it says, someone brings him back. So let me put it to you this way. Anyone can wander, but it always just takes someone who's willing to rescue to bring them back. My call out to you this morning is for you to be that someone. That someone doesn't need to be an elder of the church. That someone does not need to be a deacon of the church. That someone does not need to be a Sunday school teacher or small group leader in the church. That someone needs to be you. When we see people who are falling away, when we're seeing or hearing of people who are upset or malcontent, it's going to happen, and we may not win every heart back, but it is imperative that we all get into rescue mode and care for the sheep. My job is to help shepherd the sheep under the watch care of the ultimate shepherd. But every single one of us, the people we know and the relationships we have, God has called us to do this together. 
We need one another, each one of us looking out, making those phone calls, dropping by people's house. Is it awkward? Yes. But it's necessary and needful. We need to be the someone. You know, I'm always amazed at how people think that they just don't have anything to offer. But I think it was uh, Paul Trapeze said that uh, we can all be uh, instruments of grace in the hands of the Redeemer. We, we all can be used by God to bring grace and hope. You, people most of the time don't need a fancy theological answer. Most of the time people don't need uh, some, some slick presentation, you know, that you could put on PowerPoint. Most of the time what people need is just someone who cares, Someone who will sit there and hold a hand or someone there that will listen to a gripe or concern. It's amazing to me how much healing takes place in my office by me just being quiet and letting someone share their heart. Sometimes that is the catharsis, but it requires intentionality, the willingness to be there with that person, to hear them, to love them, and to care for them. Ministry is about salvation and it is about bringing people back from their deviations or their, their getting away from the truth. We see this in Mark 4, 12, Luke 1, 16, Luke 22, 32. Bringing people back is what we do. And it is a definitive requirement that requires definitive effort by every person at a definitive time. Notice the phrase bring back. It's in verse, bring him back, it's in verse 19 and 20. Again, that shows definitive effort at a definitive point in time. You don't put it off. If there is a hurting church member, someone, a friend that is, 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 is maybe drifting away from the Lord and their faith, this morning I am praying that God will convict you to make that phone call, to send that text, which is what the younger folks do. Send an email, whatever it takes. Reach out to that person because that's what the body of Christ does. We need to get back to work and realize that each one of us have this role to play. We are here to strengthen the brothers. That's what Jesus commanded us to do in Luke twenty-two thirty-two. Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says, take care. This is chapter 3, verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. That's a warning to all of us that we could stray, that we could wander. In Hebrews 10, 24, we are told to remember how to consider, how to stir one another up to love and good works. So that's what we're called to do. We are called to be those who are willing to stir it up, to make the phone call, to care for people. Every one of you here in this room, you have the capacity to make a difference for the kingdom of God. The analogy that came to my mind when I was writing this was, you know, you can have a garage filled with tools that are the best tools money can buy. And when you go into these really fancy tool stores, now you realize that, man, you can drop a lot of money in tools. The really good brands and the really good stuff it costs a lot of money. And you can have that garage that, you know, they have in, in all of the, uh, you know, the, those wonderful TV shows that show houses that look a lot better than yours. And they have those garages that are just immaculate. You know, why would you even want to bring a car in there that's dirty, right? And all these tools on the wall. Just imagine that. Just beautifully organized tools. And everything is in its place. But the problem is, it's never being used. And that's what bothers me about churches today in America. Because I know, I've been around church in America enough to know that the churches are filled and the membership roles are filled with people who are talented and, and really have a lot to offer. But the sad church 
truth is they're just tools in a toolbox. They're tools hanging on a wall, and they're not being used by the Redeemer. And I'm going to ask you right now, if that is you, whatever your excuse has been, whatever reason you've given, you've got to stop making excuses because your life matters and your help is needed. We need people who are giving of their hearts and lives to others. It's not enough to just say, I'm going to go out there and tell people about Jesus. It's not hit and run evangelism that we do here. Yes, we want to hit people with the gospel, but we want to love people enough to care for them and to pour into them. There's a lot of people that need rescued, not by professional preachers or anything like that, but just by people who love. If you have a heart that's ever wandered, you know how quick the darkness comes. It doesn't take long to get away from the sunlight of God's love. And my prayer is, is that you will have compassion. The people on our rolls that aren't coming to church and maybe even bad-mouthing the church, I don't know. I don't get a lot of that, but, you know, I've heard over the years people complain about this church or that church. Sometimes churches deserve it. I want you to understand, our our mission in reaching out to people is to rescue them. Our mission is never seek and destroy. It's always, always rescue and restore. But realize that to do that, all of us, not just the pastor, have to invite uh, others and themselves into the community which, which, which allows for accountability. There is accountability in community. I have to say it again. We desperately need each other when it comes to this rescue operation. We have to constantly be caring for each other and encouraging one another. You know, I was thinking about this. My, my, uh, my wife, her grandma and grandpa years ago, they were involved in mountain rescue out in, out in the mountains there in California, in Southern California. And, and I'll tell you this, mountain rescue people, they don't go like in the movies. It's not one person, this big, bad, you know, uh, superhero guy going out and trying to save somebody. It, it takes teams of people to go and rescue. I think about our elite special forces. None of them are solo actors. They work together in units and teams to accomplish superhuman feats. They don't do it because of the individual as much as they do it as a collective, as a group. And I look out at you and I see young faces and many people who have many, many decades of ministry ahead. And the temptation is always going to be, I'm going to find my ministry, I'm going to do my thing. No, what you need to do is ask the Lord to take your gifts and to meld them into the body of Christ. You need to be a part of those around you. You need to be a part of the ministry of the church. It's not about each of us as individuals. It's not about you being the hero. It's remembering that Jesus is the hero and remembering that we all have a role to play. Rescue the perishing care for the dying. Oh, you have the capacity to be elite, to be a true champion for Christ. But you got to get involved in the soul work of the church. That's our last point. Verse 20 is talking about soul work. Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. I want you to realize that back in verse 19, the first two words, my brothers, remind us that this is given to the church. The church is the primary method and methodology that God uses in the world. There are parachurch organizations that are doing great work, but they are parachurch. That means alongside the church. It is the church that is called to preach and teach the kingdom and to build up the saints. And and we work together with parachurch organizations to do that work. But we need to realize that the work of the church is soul work. And the stakes are high. 
And there's life and death hanging in the balance. There are sheep who continue to wander and fall into oblivion. If a sheep is wandering, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're not saved and they're eternally lost. But if that sheep continues to wander, then yes, most likely they do not have faith in Christ. We need to realize that the stakes are high and we need to get desperate about those who are hurting. And when we get desperate about those who are hurting, we can make a difference. Notice, let him know that whoever, anyone, whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul. In other words, you're not the one that saves them in the spiritual sense, but by being an instrument in God's hands, you help that person to to really discover or rediscover who they are in Christ And by doing that, you deliver them from a multitude of sins. You keep them from going down that path. Oh, friends, we can't save anybody, but I I do believe that Jesus wants us to be involved in the work of salvation. I, I can't convince you to be saved, but I can be a faithful witness of Jesus and the Spirit work through me. And that power of the Spirit is what saves. But he is inviting me and you to be instruments of grace in this way. To be involved in the soul work of the church. But that's the issue. The church today, we get fired up about, well, uh, we, we built a building or we didn't build a building. We get fired up about, we do this ministry, we don't do that ministry. We get fired up about, well, I like this kind of personality in preaching, not that kind of personality in preaching. Listen, that's not going to keep the church alive today. Those preferences aren't enough. We need to have passion for the gospel and believe in the power of Jesus. That's our only hope. And we have to make sure that we are concerned and desperate about the soul work, S-O-U-L, the soul work of the church. Listen, you cannot waste your life doing gospel work. You may lose it, but you will never waste it. There are brothers and sisters in Christ in Afghanistan probably today who are losing their lives to preach the gospel but they won't waste one second of their lives. The blood of the martyrs is a sad thing, but it is a beautiful hope that even from the blood of sacrifice comes life. In our church, we are blessed with a a very good group of senior adults who have fought a good fight and done a lot of good things for us. In one sense, just like in the Olympics we watched a couple weeks ago, They had a baton, and some of them have passed it on and gone on to be with Jesus. But I want to tell you something. Regardless of your age, your status, your education level, whatever, I want you to realize one of the big mistakes I think we make is that we think we pass on this baton before we die. You don't pass on the baton until you have fought the the, the good fight and you are in the presence of Jesus. The church has to realize that every single age demographic, if you're older, you may not be able to do the same ministry you did decades ago, but now you have wisdom and you have something else to give. And I'm telling you, it's important for us. If some of us have retired from service to the church, we need to re-up. We need to reinvest. We need to realize that there's never a time for us to quit moving forward. When we look at our membership role and we think about all the people in Springfield alone that are on somebody's membership role but are not going to church at any time and don't feel any passion to go to church, listen, there is no baton passing here. We are not doing any victory laps. We do not have the gold medal. We have work to do, church. 
We have work to do. Springfield, Missouri is filled with people who claim to be Christian, but they have clearly wandered. And guess what? The reason why there's more and more wanderers is because more and more of us are wandering and we just don't admit it. Our wandering isn't as far as theirs, and so we think that we're better than they are. But that little bit of unfaithfulness today, that stubbornness that you're experiencing right now, oh, he doesn't know what he's talking about because I've worked hard. You may have worked harder than all of us, but there is more work to do. Don't give up. Your gifts are too precious for them to be locked up in a garage, stuck in the closet of your heart. You may have been hurt, But Jesus suffered far more than you on the cross. And don't compare your hurts to the brothers and sisters in Afghanistan, Iraq, and Iran who are giving their lives today. I I hear people in America talking about how the church has hurt them. They don't understand what they're saying. If you've had your feelings hurt, that's bad. But there are people in the world losing life and limb for their faith. And how in the world can we sit around and complain? Listen, I'm not getting on to you. I'm just telling you, I'm sick and tired of being the complainer. I'm sick and tired of letting my heart wander. I want to make sure that we are as close as we can be, as tight as we can be to the righteous truth of God. Because when we get close to him, we begin to die to self and we begin begin to see all the ways that we can serve the Lord with power and gladness. We've got to get back to work because there are souls that need saved. And we need to go and rescue those hurting souls with joy in our face, joy in our lives. What a joy it is to serve the Lord with you here at Ridgecrest but whatever you do, hold on to that baton because each one of us, we still have more race to run. Get back to work. COVID cannot continue to be the excuse for any of us. The world, more people every day are lost and go into a devil's hell. And we're making excuses about how hard it is because of COVID? Yeah. Uh, the, the playing board, the, the, the game board has changed. We, we can't do things the way we used to do it. That's okay. I think God has got something big for us, church. Something beautiful in store. But we got to get to work. And we can't get to work if we're making excuses. And so I'm going to ask you as we finish up here to to put the excuses in the altar. What have we talked about tonight? What are some practical things? Well, listen, you, you better realize that your soul has a tendency to wander. And we need each other. So build in accountability. Make sure your all in discipleship group is hearing your heart, your small group, your friends. If we're going to get to work for Jesus, we can't do it alone. We need each other. Commit to being a church member whose gifts and talents are used in rescue and restore operations. In other words, don't be satisfied sitting on the sidelines, but be that elite force reaching out to people that have wandered. And finally, give more of your time here on earth to endeavors that will help people spend eternity in heaven. Listen. The truth is, if we all look at our lives, we're wasting a lot of time And we only are given so much time before we step out of this world and into the presence of Jesus. And until that day, I need you to get desperate. The church desperately needs you. I don't say me in the sense of for me, but the church, we, the church, we each need to be desperate for God, desperate to use our gifts. 
Stop making excuses. Stop pointing fingers. Excuses and finger pointing are just ways you cover up your wandering. Embrace your fallenness. Confess it to Jesus. Find healing at the cross. And the work we do, we'll do in the power of God and with the power of grace. James tells us to get back to work. Ridgecrest, what's that look like for you? It's time to take that first step. The first step towards the future God has for you. Whatever excuses, whatever failures from the past, they're there, you know them, maybe others do, but there is something big God has for you. And in this invitation, it's time to take that first step in God's direction. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us or get connected, visit ridgecrestbaptist.org.